Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. The levels are set. The mics are ready. Testing, testing, one, two, three. So strap yourself in. It's time to go one-on-one with Bill Alexander. Let's go. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of One-on-One with Bill Alexander. Hope everything's going fine for you on this wonderful day. And today we have someone that we had on the program a couple times before by the name of Anna Frankel Duvall. Anna, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing real good. It's so great to finally see you in person, um, a few hundred miles away from each other, which is kind of nice. So the reason I wanted to have you back on is we talked the last time, which is hard to believe it's been about a year and a half since you and I have talked. Mm-hmm. And we were, and it was right when the pandemic started. So we're coming out of the end of it. At least there is, looks like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. How is everything going for you right now? It's going pretty well. I think readjusting to getting back into kind of real life or the new version of it. Um, a weird thing happened for work for me in the pandemic, which was kind of great. At the beginning of the pandemic, I thought I'd take a chance and just buy like a self-record voiceover mic bundle, right? Right. I was like, ah, seems like a good idea. I'll probably never use it. It's 500 bucks I'll never see again. And I spent the majority of the pandemic recording national and international commercial voiceovers. So I lucked out on that very weird instinct I had early on in March or April. That, that is very cool to be able to do that, to be able to turn something around, as they say, taking lemons and making lemonade out of it, which is kind of cool. So what are some of the voiceovers you've done? So I've done uh, Palo Alto Networks. I've done their last like three or three national campaigns, maybe two or three. Um, and some for Abbott Medical and a whole bunch of auditions, played around with ideas of doing podcasts with friends. I now have a little homemade booth in my house which is just a closet full of (laughs) moving blankets but it works what is really funny is i have another uh friend who's on the west coast who is a voiceover artist and her name is anna vicino and she's actually the female voice of nbc who she does all their radio stuff and she's a comedian she's done a few tv things and she just got done redoing her home and put in a professional recording booth. So it's really interesting to hear the other end of the spectrum where she just got this professional booth put in and you have this makeshift booth that you have. And the best part is you probably can't tell the difference between the two. I mean, I'm sure hers is a little bit more comfortable than mine, but uh, that's where I've recorded all these national commercials. So I feel pretty lucky with the way it's turned out. That's really good. So what is special about your closet that uh, that makes you not be able to do it in, in a room that you're in right now? I mean, if I don't, I can show you since we're on video, but it's sure. 
You want to see it? Like, yeah, I'd love to see this. All right. I'm really proud of it. I'll be honest. Um, wow. So we're going on a field trip. Wow. Field trip into this little dark corner. Okay. I have my whole setup. It's a full closet full of moving blankets. I've got my uh, sound shield, my mic. I have my little Scarlet 2i2 at the bottom. And it all works perfect. It's pretty warm. That's my main gotcha. Is In the height of summer, being in there for a couple of hours for a session was, was challenging, but no one can see you, so it's fine. That's really interesting. I mean, I'm impressed with the moving blankets. Um, that is actually kind of cool. I would have never thought of having moving blankets there. Now, I've, all, I've heard of other people that I know doing it who don't have a space as large as yours that actually have gone into their car yeah. and put a blanket over their head and did it in their car, which is very interesting. Yeah, I, I have a sound engineer friend who does exactly that. And at the beginning of the pandemic, he was going to different talent and doing it that way. And they were linking, I think, car to car. Oh, that's and cool. Yeah, and the first commercial I did was actually, I built a fort. I wasn't in this apartment yet. And I have a video somewhere of me like building a fort of different chairs and like a bucket full of dog food and like cushions and a lamp <laughs> and a blanket. Turned out all right. That's good. That's real good. So that, I think it's really interesting how everybody adapted during the pandemic, because if the audience doesn't know already, you're an actress and New York was pretty much shut down and you weren't able to do anything. So I'm sure in those beginning days, you were kind of worried about how you were going to make your income. Absolutely. I was very worried about it. And, but also those beginning days, we thought it was going to be two weeks, which That's sounds right. ridiculous yeah. now. But, you know, I thought two weeks off work isn't going to be terrible. Right. Um, and at the time, during, like over the pandemic, actually just a few months ago, I finally got my green card, which was great. But during the pandemic, I wasn't eligible for any, um, any of the unemployment benefits, anything mm -hmm. like that, because I wasn't a resident. So booking these jobs was just really lucky and just saved me, honestly. So I, I was just going to ask you about that. So do you have a voiceover agent now or are you still doing this on your own? No, I've had a voiceover agent for a few years. I'm with DDO. Okay. And they're amazing. Okay. So I've been doing it since before the pandemic. I was the voice of 23andMe in the UK. Now I'm the voice of, or at least I've done the last few Slack commercials in the UK um, over the last few months. But they, they're an amazing team. I'm really lucky to be with them. That's really cool. So have you done any voiceover work in the States for anything that we would have seen here? The, the Palo Alto Network, the Palo Alto Networks one is running on all the major news channels. It's on okay. the NFL channel. It's uh, that's the one right now that you would be able to see. It's Lena Wake is also like she's the lead voice in it at the beginning. And then I finish it off. So you may well have seen it. So are you doing it with your accent or are you doing it with your American voice that you have? No, I'm doing it with my natural accent. It's a little <laughs> bit deeper and a little bit more serious because it's tech, but it's my own accent. OK, because I I'll have to pay close attention the next time I'm watching the NFL Network because um, to, to see you do that, because I, I get I get a real kick when I hear people that I recognize on TV, because then I tell my kids and then they look at me like I'm crazy. So I just keep reinforcing that I'm nuts in my kids eyes. So I mean, I anyhow. guess you're going to say cool at the end of that sentence. <laughs> no, it's it's crazy. It, they think I'm nuts. Anyhow, um, 
all the best people are. So it doesn't really matter. Well, thank you. I appreciate that compliment. So um, in my situation, I actually, same thing. I rebuilt a studio that I'm sitting in right now. And I started doing more radio work and just updated to, to video, which I never thought anybody would care to see what I looked like, let alone being able to broadcast it, because now we're broadcasting on local cable TV. So people throughout the area that I'm in will be seeing you beginning of next week. So That's there so you exciting. go. Hi, everyone. Yeah. So with with all this going on with the pandemic and with your acting career, what is the one thing that changed that that really surprised you on how you look at things? I think, I don't think things that have changed as much as I hoped that they would, honestly. I think I expected all of us to, to sit back and change kind of our hustle mentality. Okay. And I don't know if it's changed as much as I thought it would, or even at all. Um, for me personally, I also, I definitely thought when I had loads of free time, I'd be like at the gym every day, whatever I thought <laughs> I'd be like writing, I'm gonna make my masterpiece. There right. was something going round at the beginning that was like uh, on social media that people were saying like King Lear was written by Shakespeare during the plague. Yes. And there was this immense amount of pressure. Um, I had a good friend remind me that it was a pandemic and not like an artistic retreat. And so, um, you know, I think, I'm surprised actually by how much energy it's taking to kind of reconnect with the creative parts of myself that I I let go because there wasn't as much going on. I'm just kind of getting back into the groove of it all. Okay. Because um, that, that's interesting about being a, uh, it was a, being a pandemic and being a situation where we were not mentally set for this. Because I, I know I went into a funk for a few months that it was like, what am I doing? I mean, what is the purpose of what's going on? Because again, like you said, we had all these plans of doing this wonderful stuff and doing this. And it was like, why? I mean, no one's there listening or no one's watching. But as someone else told me who's in the entertainment field, unfortunately, he was out of work. And I think he still is, who performs on cruise ships. He said that what I was doing was actually beneficial because it kept people connected to what was going on. Absolutely. And, and, and that's where I want to go next with this. Why? Cause you contacted me in the beginning of this, you said you wanted to create a podcast. What do I need to do it? Why didn't you do it? Oh man. I didn't think you were going to call me out on that. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I tried a couple of versions of, podcast so one was actually going to be with my dad so okay. everyone in my family is a journalist except for me which is why I love that reel to reel is my whole life I watched my mom edit radio programs on reel to reel in my house um and so it was going to be my dad and I talk passing along pieces of culture like pop culture or relevant interesting things that we were kind of engaging in across the ocean we passed them back and forth um and discussed different perspectives from different generations that was one idea that I had I was really excited about it and we tried one episode and it just didn't quite work the way I hoped it ha it would. Okay. And so we kind of dropped the ball on that, which was a little frustrating, but we just ha didn't find our groove with it. We had fun trying it out. Um, and then another one, well, the thing I've learned during this pandemic for both of these podcasts is I, I 
work best with a creative partner. Okay. And so the other idea I had was also with a partner I've worked with for many years. We kind of work with the same material on and off. And we tried recording one version of this material to make it into a podcast and it didn't work. And then we tried, uh, we have ideas for how to turn it into a podcast in a different version. But she's super busy, which is great. She's got a film that's just been released that she produced and starred in. She's working on lots of other projects. She's writing a script at the moment. And so I think a, a half-baked idea that needs development has just taken a bit of a back seat. Gotcha. And these other projects have been kind of completed. The, the idea with your dad fascinates me. Um, if you don't mind me asking, how old is your father? Oh, uh, he's 64. Okay, so he's about nine years older than I am. Because I think it'd be interesting if I could talk to him and looking at it because we grew up in the same time frame yeah. and dealing with what was going on in the UK and I could relate to what was going on in the US and see if there was any cross in between. So that's an interesting idea. That's uh, really interesting. So that, 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 I like that idea. Anyway, not that I'm trying to find me more work, but I, I like that. Um, so I thought it was interesting. You said you needed to work with a creative mind. Do you not see yourself as being a creative individual? No, I do see myself as a creative individual. I just think that I, I work best bouncing ideas off someone else as okay. well and, kind of, and collaborating. That's where I get really excited. I think it stimulates my creativity and it, and it um, also gives me structure. Otherwise, I'm just kind of, I have all the time in the world to do whatever projects I want. <laughs> you know, right. I need to be held accountable a little bit. So when you were talking with the friend, what, type of program were you looking at doing so it's based on a project that we started many many years ago so back in 2012 um i had just moved to london because my mum was sick and she was here we'd met in a play earlier that year okay. and we started writing each other emails every day uh, in the form of a letter every day it, the only rule was that it had to be every day it didn't matter how long or what it was about and we actually carried on doing that over two and a half years and it became a really crucial period of time in both of our lives my mom had cancer she then died I then met someone that I started dating I was trying to figure out living in London she was doing a lot of exciting creative things she was working in Zimbabwe on a big arts festival there she was meeting someone who was about to become her husband next year it kind of covered all these big topics and it was a story of uh, love loss and friendship okay and and we spent then a year editing it after we came back in 2015. We spent a year editing it um, and sent it out to people as a book. And the feedback we got back was, we really like it, but um, no one wants a memoir from people who aren't famous. So we then fictionalized it and spent a chunk of time, it wasn't quite a year, doing a lookbook, writing a whole, uh, our pilot, figuring out a whole script. Um, and then we sent it to some agents again and they said, it's too much like girls, no one's going to want to watch it. And so we then, and then it was 2016 and bigger things were happening. And we didn't okay. think having a story about two young white women being actors was really at the forefront of the cultural conversation, nor should it be. So then the podcast was originally going to be us talking about it and reading through the letters. And then it evolved to the idea of, of diving into topics and using the letters as kind of support and information on each of these different topics, however big they were. Um, and seeing how our views have changed or not changed based on the time that's now gone by. 
interesting. I like the idea of the book. I mean, that that to me sounds intriguing um, because I'm a sort of a history buff and I've read read things based that way that they were signed someone's letters and correspondence back and forth. Hold on to it for 30 years and it may be uh, maybe something you, you can publish because most of us won't remember what happened in 2012 to 2016. So, um, I mean, I so the book is secretly my favorite version of all. Like, I love it. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's that to me is that is very intriguing because I've always wanted to write. Unfortunately, I don't have I don't think I have the patience to do it. And I don't think I have the skill. That's why it's easier for me to talk than it is to write everything down. So again, it, that's why I don't have a blog. That's why I don't have any of that other stuff because I don't feel that that's my strong point. If it would have been my strong point, I would have never got into radio and television. So that's that's why I think when hearing that you did it, I think it is very intriguing to uh, be able to do something like that. Well, I think you're selling yourself short. What you do takes a lot of patience. And I guess, I don't know. I feel like you could, do you write anything down at all? Um, I, I write notes but really nothing that uh other people would uh <laughs> be able to interpret i guess <laughs> yeah i guess it's a uh, it's something i enjoy doing i think my writing's fairly informal i'm writing a i say i say i'm doing it mostly so i again i'm held accountable to keep doing it okay I'm vaguely working on uh the idea for a one-woman show at the moment that i've started to write uh, and it's hard, <laughs> but um, so if you're doing if you're doing a one woman show, what's it going to be about? Is it your life? Is it about a fictional person or you and a fictional person? How's it going to work? I'm not good at writing fiction. That is definitely something I've discovered. So okay. it's the premise is um, kind of the framework is giving a tour around my childhood home and walking through the description of it. And then as we come to different points in the house, sharing memories that happen there, totally out of order, just based on the geography of the space. And then I intend to go deeper and explore the idea of memory and how it works and how it works in space and where things disappear to and come back from, which all sounds very vague, but it, it makes sense in my head, I promise. <laughs> So it goes back to that question. You said that the agent said that the book or the whatever you were writing, no one wanted to see two two white women that were actors that weren't famous. What makes what you're doing now going to be different? I think multiple things. I think one, um, I this would be a small show that I produce myself. Maybe okay. no one wants to see it, but it wouldn't be something that is necessarily trying to change the cultural conversation. Um, and I think. It wouldn't be about being an actor. Like I don't, I don't it, not that our book is about that, but I don't really like engaging in art that is a, that is too reflective of the truth of the people. I know I've just said I can't write fiction, but I don't want to watch like, I don't want to watch actors struggling on how to be actors. Like that wasn't what our book was about. It was really about friendship. And so I think the, the relationship was interesting, but also there are too many white faces on screen and okay. kind of around and so there's no need to push those stories when there are many other stories to tell and those stories aren't mine to to write so it's more about being respectful of things we haven't seen or heard okay and that that's it, that's interesting so 
you were stuck in, and I hate to use the word stuck, but you were in New York. Mm -hmm. You couldn't go anywhere. You were the the, uh, epicenter of a lot of this. Your family's in the UK. How was that? How was that? How were you dealing with that mentally that you're in the middle of it? Family's over there. And then how did your family see it that you're in this hotbed of the situation? Um, I think I definitely felt sorry for myself at times. Sometimes I was my my mentality about it was was stronger than others. Uh, I definitely had a few weepy, weepy moments of feeling very sorry for myself, even though I was healthy and very lucky in the situation I was in in comparison to a lot of people. Um, I hadn't gone home for two years before anyway, because I was waiting for my green card and I wasn't allowed to leave the country. So ironically, just before I, before the pandemic hit, I had been given permission to travel and I was about to book for the beginning of March and I didn't, and it's lucky I didn't because I would have been, I would have been stuck in the UK and I wouldn't have got my green card, but that was a pretty hard pill to swallow, especially when we thought it was only going to last a few weeks. Right. And then at the end of the pandemic or this year, I was meant to go home in September and I took a PCR flight, PCR test the day before my flight and it came back positive. And so I couldn't go home then either. So I got COVID just before I was due to go home. It's still been four years. Um, but I think my family were probably more worried than they let on. Okay. Um, I have pretty bad asthma. And at the beginning that was flagged as like a huge, right. a huge problem. I was lucky enough to have family friends lend me they weren't in the city. They lent me a house nearby that I could stay in. So I wasn't with any of my roommates and I was just kind of greeting friends from 10 feet away at the top of the stairs, having distance drinks. I think on the day, on the days where I didn't feel too sorry for myself, we found ways to kind of make it fun. We had family Zooms. We had these different, you know, I was doing online play readings. I was trying to find structure, you know, a to-do list that included showering often, as long as I had something. To <laughs> did it every day. Very proud of it. I, I I think that's interesting because the one thing I did notice, especially people in your field, is the the table reads that they were doing. And I've always been looking at theater on the outside looking in, and I've never understood how that worked. And I've seen a few of them, and they were actually very intriguing. And now it's become a thing where there are fundraisers that are being done of sitting there watching people do table reads, which yeah. is quite interesting. It is interesting. And I'm interested to know, like, how do you enjoy those? Yes, very- I do. I'm glad to hear that. I think it can provide like a, as an actor, both freedom to kind of play around and do something mm-hmm. creative when you're stuck in a house doing nothing. Right. But also can be worrying because you don't get to do all the fun. Like for me, the fun stuff is the interacting with other people. Right. I get bored of seeing my own face flashing back at me on a screen. It's not that exciting. But um, that was a really nice way to kind of keep connected to a part of myself. And I think for other actors, a part of themselves that could easily get lost. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I found some, a few little new communities through doing that. It's a lot of fun. So do you think because of the technology that we have now that made it a little bit easier? Definitely. Definitely. The idea of this pandemic without the technology we have now is just very sad. Um, okay, so I'll reverse it. So do you think the technology may have made the situation worse that we were dealing with because of social media? Also, yes. Okay. I think it made it um, 
I think misinformation spread quickly. I mm-hmm. think uh, it was it was distracting, which I, it can be good good and bad. Mm-hmm. But you know, it didn't like anything. There's a positive and a negative to it. It right. kept us connected. It kept some people creative. It inspired other people. It made people. You know, it gave people the ability to talk to people far away, meet new friends, not feel completely stuck by themselves. But also, you know, people can pass on anything and and uh, it doesn't have to be verified. It doesn't have to be supported by anything. And then I think it probably added to the divide that already exists, was already existing in the country. So we were talking last time, if I remember correctly, about you getting your green card. Mm hmm. And you were worried because of the political climate in the country that you did not think or you were worried that you were not going to be able to get it. Yeah, it definitely played on my mind that I'm outspoken and that maybe uh, opinion could be something that hindered someone approving my green card. It's really personal. People will look. I don't know what people are looking at. If If I'm being vocal about things I believe in and then someone who doesn't believe in the same things and they might; those people might be great at their jobs, totally unfazed by anything personal. But the fear is that that they would that maybe some I would offend someone or anger someone, and then they'd find a reason not to approve it. That might be totally illogical. People are probably very serious about their jobs, but when you're stuck with your whole life in someone else's hands, it's one of those fears that comes up. So, have you ever thought about becoming a naturalized citizen, or do you not want uh, to give up your UK citizenship? I wouldn't have to give up my UK citizenship. Oh, okay. Uh, you can have up to three citizenships, I believe. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I have two already. I'm. I have a British citizenship and French citizenship. Um, I, I, I mean, it's another five years. It's. I'm not even eligible to apply to become a naturalized citizen for another five years. But um, I would definitely consider it. Absolutely. I mean, I've lived here for 14 years. My whole adult life has been in this country. So I would. I would love to be able to vote and participate in things on a deeper level. So you've been here for 14 years. It's taken you that long to get a green card. Uh, Yeah, I went through multiple different um, visas. And because my mom was sick, I was home for a few years in the middle of that. Okay, okay. So then I kind of had to start start the ball rolling again in some ways. But also I applied as an actor. And it's very hard to do. So I'd already had three visas. They're O-1 visas. So I'm sad that this is not my title anymore. But I was a non-immigrant alien of extraordinary ability. (laughs) <laughs> I know. did you put that on your business card because I honestly i wouldn't remember it yeah former um, non-immigrant funny. alien of extraordinary ability i think i'm something similar but now i'm an immigrant basically well, that, that's, that would be actually a great play title i mean that would look great on a playbill really that's true I, I think it would i think that should be the title of your uh, one woman show oh maybe i'm gonna steal that thank you yeah i, I, will, I, I will definitely take that I like that. That is actually very catchy. Um, so we were talking briefly beforehand and I asked you about, are you, have you done any roles during the pandemic? And you mentioned you did a couple plays. Um, yeah. How was rehearsing for those plays different than it was before? Uh, it was nerve wracking. It felt very weird. Honestly, we had a cast, the whole cast was fully vaccinated we uh, rehearsed in person, we performed in person, the audience had to be vaccinated and masked. Um, 
And it was a bit surreal at first and quite moving when you walk into a rehearsal room and you remember what it's like to work with new people. You got something that was weird. Like, how do you talk to people you don't know? Like, right. I, you know, you kind of fall out of that habit. Um, probably not you because you still managed to carry on doing it. But I was just like, I don't know who these people are. Right. Is this joke appropriate? Can I share this information? Um, but it was lovely. I, I worked with a really brilliant cast uh, on a great play. And we had a fun time. I was actually just filming a self-tape with one of the members of that cast half an hour before I spoke to you. So, you know, made some some real solid friendships as well. The, the reason I ask, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but my son is in college. He's in his senior year and he's studying musical theater. And he was getting ready right before the pandemic hit. He was in rehearsal for Into the Woods. Man. They were two weeks away. The plug was pulled. They even had all the, the publicity photos were shot. Everything's ready to go. And it was done. And he was rethinking his career choice because we didn't know where theater was going next. Luckily for him, we have a community theater group in our area. And out of the blue, they picked one of the most unusual musicals I think anybody could do. And they chose Xanadu. Oh, my goodness. So not only did he and he was Sonny, he played the lead, not only because he could he, he looked like Sonny. But not only did he have to act and sing, he had to learn how to roller skate. That's amazing. And it was it was so neat. And like you said, the crowd came back into the theater not knowing what to expect. And I think after the first few minutes of them performing, we all breathed a sigh of relief, like something's coming back to normal. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people are going to have to go go through that before we become comfortable. Now he's at rehearsal. Now he's in the uh, stage musical of elf and he's playing. Uh, cool. Yeah. He's playing, he's playing the elf. He's playing buddy. So he's uh, he's getting all ready for that. But again, it, it's just getting that whole thing together. And I was at a concert on Monday night on Monday night. I saw the monkeys, which I saw two of the four surviving wow. monkeys and it's just interesting going back into those schemes. Now, you being an, uh, a performer on stage, would you rather have the audience in masks or just have them fully vaccinated? Oh, um, I don't know if I think that's my call to make. I think it's whatever the CDC guidelines are um, and whatever the production, you know, production guidelines are. As an audience member, I've seen a few shows already. You know, it's slightly annoying wearing a mask but it made me feel more comfortable as an audience member knowing that the I was meeting requirements and that everyone had to meet those requirements. Uh, I don't know if I have a preference. I guess it's just what has to be done. I, I think that's what I'm asking. If you would feel more comfortable if the audience was wearing masks and being vaccinated. I mean, yeah, sure. I, I'd have a little, I'd be a little bit more comfortable, um, but if everyone's wearing a mask and some people are not vaccinated, I guess masks are, are, are good protection. Ideally, both would, would be how I'd prefer it. But I understand that's a really complicated thing and, it, and a personal, a really personal choice. And I kind of bounce around with my thoughts on it daily. Do you, being from the UK, do you find it odd that the, the, the whole idea of being vaccinated and wearing masks has become political? 
Yes, I find it very weird. Um, I find it super strange also because, and while I, I want to take all historical aspects into, into kind of, into, I can't remember the word I'm thinking of. Uh, I want to th make sure I consider and take consideration. That's what I was going to say. Um, we've had to be vaccinated for everything we've ever done in life already. We just happen to be at the forefront of this vaccine. Right. But we couldn't leave, the, I mean, we went back to the hospital six weeks later. We couldn't go to public school. I couldn't immigrate. I couldn't, none of us could travel to places. This isn't actually new. We're just the first ones to, to have to have this vaccine. And so I do find it strange. Uh, but I also want to be respectful of people's choices and their own experiences. But I find it hard to, I, I, I never considered not getting the vaccine. And so for me, the fact that there is such a strong divide uh, is a little baffling. Yeah. In the UK, did they react the same way they're reacting here or did they just do it? I, I don't know firsthand, but everyone I know couldn't wait to get it. It took okay. a longer time for it to roll out there. I don't think they had the same number of vaccines that we had or the same percentage yeah because i made the comment and people looked at me and couldn't understand the analogy i was making but i said if we were fighting world war ii right now we would have lost and we would have been speaking german because of what the citizens and not only our country but also in yours gave up to do that and they listened they did whatever they were told they did not argue with them they did not fight against it they did what was supposed to be done now it's everybody's just uh, beating back authority because they don't want to be told what to do. And I find that very interesting. I find it interesting. I also, I, particularly in the US, I find the, uh, I'm, maybe I'm, this is dangerous territory, but like the use of the word freedom, I find really interesting. I think the okay. definition of freedom, depending on how it's used, I think it's, it can be really interesting because for me, the vaccine has given me freedom. I am now right. able to move in the world in a way that I'd like. Uh, I don't feel like I have any less freedom than before the pandemic. But I think the idea that we have or that can be portrayed sometimes over here as freedom uh, crosses over into other things. I, I think it, uh, it doesn't always allow for personal responsibility and doesn't allow for the for, for thought of, of community, not just with the pandemic, just, but in general. Um, and I think if we, I think we need to go back to our, figuring out what the original definition of freedom is so that we can use the word correctly. Okay. Does that make any sense? It, it, it does make sense. And, and it's interesting because you and I are from two different parts of the world. We're two different generations and we're still talking to each other and we're not yelling at each other. Not at all. And that's another thing that I think that we miss is that, that missing of communication back and forth between individuals because it's like right now when people talk, whoever yells the loudest wins. And that's one of those situations that I'm having problems dealing with because that's not the way I work. And I will walk away from somebody if they start doing that. But when I, when I hear you talk, I hear you bring in a perspective that is a little bit more worldly because you've lived other places and you have that. Did you ever live in France or is that because of your mother, it's, the dual citizen? So my mom, my mom was actually Hungarian. She was a Hungarian. Okay. That's right. Okay. And my dad's French. Okay. Um, I didn't live there, but I, 
I grew up speaking the language. I visited my family there a lot. So I feel, I do feel connected to just mainland Europe, or I guess now the European Union, sadly. Um, uh, and I always have, I never really felt that English. So, okay. yeah. So with the culture there, is it, is, are they looking at the United States differently than they did 10, 15, 20 years ago? Oh, I think definitely. I think the, the election of 2016 really changed how the world viewed the US. Um, and I think the divide that exists now, I mean, the, the, this divide of right and left is happening in lots of different countries. It's not just happening in the US, but the US is kind of, I guess it's from my, because I live here, it's, it seems like the biggest divide or the, the biggest fight or the most main stage version of it. So right. it's not just happening here. Um, but I think who's elected president here has a much bigger impact around the world than maybe somewhere else where a leader is. Not that for that country, it's not, but on the world stage, I think it has a bigger impact. And That's I wonder interesting. What, what that election in 2016 did to other elections in other countries. That's, that's interesting because I don't think I would have looked at it that way, but we do see that whatever happens here, there's a ripple effect throughout the world. Yeah. Either good or bad or whatever, but we do see that ripple effect. So that's interesting. I, I would have never, um, I would have never really thought about that because I'm, I'm here. I have never been anywhere else. I'm here. So I've seen it from the inside out. Um, so with all that happening, and again, I don't want to focus on politics too long. Do you see things changing being someone that can't vote? Are they changing for the better or for the worse? Um, I thought they were changing for the better. I don't know yet. Um, I think dur during the pandemic, I was consuming, from 2016, I was really consuming news pretty fervently. Um, and I tapped out a little bit because it got overwhelming. And right. so, um, and I was getting very upset with a lot of things that were happening. And I, and I, and I'm ashamed to admit that I tapped out. I didn't have the energy to constantly be upset about things. And um, I think it's just incredibly frustrating not being able to vote. And it kind of, I just feel a bit disenfranchised. Even in my neighborhood, I know several of the local politicians. I'll greet them, I'll talk to them, I'll have their phone numbers, chat, all of these things. Um, but I can't vote. And, and there are minimal, there are, you know, it's a really, it's just a, a, something that makes me feel just a step further away from being able to participate on other levels. But yeah. So, okay. So that's the way we do it here. Do they do the same thing in the UK that you have to be a citizen before you can vote? Yeah, I think that's, I think that might be true of everywhere. Because I didn't know if there was a residency, because to me, to be honest with you, I think it should be a residency requirement. If you're here for a period of time, then you should be able to do it because that would make more sense to me because you're living here. You're part of the society. You should be able to. I appreciate that. I've, I spoke to one of the, to a, one of the local senators about that. Um, and it's something that I think there is a bill that is being brought in New York on a city level to be able to vote. If you have, if you're a resident, but you would never be able to vote on a national level. But do you pay taxes? I've paid taxes ever since I arrived here. So in I, other words, it's taxation without representation. I know. I get very upset about it. <laughs> Isn't that what this country started for? I think you should start dumping tea in the harbor, to be honest with you. Oh, I, maybe I would, but I like tea a little bit too much. <laughs> 
but that but that see i can see where that's frustrating you i really can because that would make a lot of sense now the other thing i want to touch on briefly because you've been through it is the idea that nasty word that came up in the 2020 election of socialism oh all right i mean okay unpopular response i think hey i it's my show i can do whatever i want right um UK has universal health care. Right. They have all this other stuff. The United States don't, doesn't want to be socialist, but we have public education. We have volunteer fire departments. We have Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. We have all these group programs that are benefiting the whole. But when we put that S word on it, everybody backs off and starts yelling. It's baffling to me. I love socialism. is such a beautiful thing, in my opinion, honestly. Like, why would I not want to be part of something that's good for everyone? It's part of the whole, right. Right. I just don't, what's the point of being alive if it's not about connection and, and creating things for other people and making everything better for everyone? Maybe I'm not I, rich enough to, to be upset about it. I don't know. But like, I, I agree with that 100%. But the funny thing is, people that are benefiting from these systems don't realize that they're part of the system. No, that's all because of marketing. Yeah, well, that's, okay, I get it. I get it. That's marketing. That's just branding by whichever, you know, by different parties or political individuals or even historically. It's just, it just sounds like one of those, like it's just a trigger word to people that they just shut down. Right. It's, and it's frustrating <laughs> and it's upsetting. I'm happy to drive on roads that I've contributed Thank you. to, that other, other people have contributed to. I don't drive. I'm so happy to contribute to those roads or would like to be able to go to a hospital if I'm sick without worrying that I'm going to completely bankrupt myself. But what's really interesting, and, th- and again, when you talk about universal health care, I am in a health care program that is a large group of people are a part of, and there's a lot of members. It may not be government run, but it's still the same concept that exactly. I'm paying they're paying. I may need to take care of the advantage of the service, but they don't. And we're all paying into the same pot of money and pulling out what we need. And people don't get it. That That's how insurance works. That's how car insurance works. That's how all of this works. And in their mind, it's a four-letter word that they can't use. It's, it's insane. But how do people react when you, when you present it that way? They look at me and think I'm nuts. But everything you said makes sense. <laughs> well, thank you. It's welcome. Thank you. <laughs> it takes someone almost 25 years younger than me to realize that. I appreciate that. I'll tell the other, I'll tell the other 30 somethings. Don't worry. <laughs> That's funny. But but it is. And I and I think if more people like you, like me, whoever it is, would listen and listen to the rational arguments about it without getting upset because of what that word is, then we can move on. Right now, and you probably do not realize this, and if you did it purposely, fantastic. There is a pillow behind you that says feminist. I didn't, it's just my pillow. I forgot that it was there until just now. What does that word mean? It just means equality. That's it. So why is that a hot button word for so many people in the United States? 
I think there are multiple facets to it. I think one, people feel attacked and feminism in itself that historically has not always been inclusive of non-white women. Okay, so on that, okay. On that side, I understand. Okay. I have long conversations with my friends about that. I understand that. That's okay. something that feminism needs to fix. We need okay. to fix. But I think people assume it's just really angry, man-hating women talking about how men are trapped. I don't know what, I don't, I guess that's why. I mean, I think people who live a female experience are quite angry a lot of the time. That doesn't mean we hate other people. Right. I just want to be treated the same. I would just like to not be judged only on being a woman. I, I see, and I think that's interesting, and I agree with you. My wife and I have the same college education. We went to the same university. We did all that. Now, of course, I went and got a secondary degree because of what I do. But if we both would have walked into an office and both got hired to do the same job, I would be making more than her because I'm a man. However, right. I think she would be more qualified for the job than I am, and she should be the one making more. But yet, I can't make people understand that. Because it shouldn't matter what organs you have for, for, for making money. And I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I think what, what it really boils down to is fear and power and the fear of losing power. These systems were created by rich, older, white men. Thank you. And so, <laughs> and so it can feel threatening. Right. And you add to that biases that exist whether they're conscious or not in society and in individuals and and it's and it's kind of built purposely to keep systems looking the way they look it takes a lot of energy you have to have a lot of strength and patience and resilience to fight against these things either on a small level or on a, a systemic level both of them in it tiring just to be I had an argument with someone recently that didn't realize that small comments that were made to me daily. I have, I'll have comments made to me by strangers and by people I know, all based on how I look and the fact that I'm a woman on a daily basis and I'm exhausted. And so that already, I don't want to then have to fight it in a workplace. Okay, now explain that to me. What are they saying to you that triggers it you? It's, it's, it's more just that it wears me down. Okay. I used to have a project where I would detail every time it happened and I put it on Facebook, what time it happened, what I was wearing, where it was, and they seem innocuous. But if it happens to you seven, eight, nine times a day, by the end of the day, you're really annoyed. <laughs> like, Well, I get it, yeah. You know, I mean, today what happened was a truck full of three men hooted their horn and blew, blew kisses at me, right? It was 10 o'clock okay. in the morning. I hadn't had a coffee yet. I was going on an errand. I, I, I don't really, my appearance and existence is not really up for other people's comments. I, why do you why do you think I haven't even engaged you? I haven't even given you eye contact. And yet three of you think it's okay to make a comment and make it clear that you're talking about my appearance because I'm there only to please you in a very specific way. Okay, I get it. I'm gonna ask you a question. Sure, I'm do here. Not, do not get angry with me when I ask this question. I promise I won't. I've probably heard it. Because I'm afraid that you're gonna hang up on me when I say it. I'm sure it would just be the internet cutting out, but I promise I won't. <laughs> so I'm on your website right now mm -hmm. and I'm looking at your photographs. Yep. I'm not you, always wearing very many clothes in those photographs. 
okay. So you are using your feminine wiles is the best way I can put it to get people to react to you or to hire for jobs. Now, wait, let me finish. No, no, I'm, I'm, what, I'm here. What's the difference between the three guys seeing you down the street, making the comments or an agent calling you saying, you got the look we want. I think there are multiple differences. Okay. Tell me. I think one, I sometimes operate wishing that we lived in a more feminist world than we do. I agree. And I've, and I've recently had to, to accept that if I decide to wear something specific, like low cut, for example, right. I can't be surprised at reactions, even if I don't think they should be happening. I agree. It's not, it's not out of nowhere. Yeah. So I can understand that. I, I wish I didn't have to think about those things. So there's that. I also think today I was wearing a turtleneck and bright pink pants and a long coat. Okay. And, and, and a lot of the things I look back, my Facebook memories will come up with like, this is what you said about being catcalled on this day. I write what I was wearing, actually mostly irrelevant. Okay. It happens when I'm sweaty wearing gym clothes and a big hoodie and a puffer jacket. And it happens wearing, when I'm wearing a short okay. heels. So there's that. And I also think, I wish I was able to express all the facets of who I am mm-hmm. without it being reason for people to justify bad behavior which is not what i think you're doing i think you're just i understand the logic of that question completely but why i wish i i could it's sad to have to feel like you will be shamed for Mm -hmm. expressing a part like there are no body parts i'm not wearing very many clothes in there but there are no body parts visible in that no not at all not at all so while i can see that it's a sensual picture or it's suggestive there are also pictures of me wearing my glasses and a blazer and and we're a society that that wants women that frames women as predominantly sexual or they have to be sexual or maternal you definitely can't be both you can't be smart and also attractive so then by putting one, i have that one I'm, I'm not on my website but one picture up there i'll say there are at least two i can okay. think of but there are like 18 pictures on my website. Yeah. So that's just one facet. I'm mm-hmm. also in a leather jacket. I'm also on a bridge, like all these different things. And we expect women to fall into very particular and small categories and to stick to that mm-hmm. until they age out and then they should disappear. <laughs> well, I don't think that should happen. But again, but, but I ask because, and I'll tell you this, I have a 14-year-old daughter. And I see the same thing happening to her. And I get it because me being 55 years old, it was the way that we were exposed to media and to whatever it was in the 70s and 80s. Look at the Farrah Fawcett's, look at the Suzanne Summers. look at that. That's what they were doing. That's what we were exposed to. And if we would do it, it was supposed to be funny or cute. Right. I'm not saying that the, I'm not justifying what the three guys did this morning. No, I know. But to them, it probably was them paying you a compliment. See, I think. Now I'm sounding like a dirty old man and that's not no, no, what I'm meaning to do. You're not at all sounding like a dirty old man. I actually don't even think it was about complimenting me. I think it was about power and, and, bravado within their own group 
Okay. I think I was just irrelevant, which is even worse in a way, because I could just be any woman because women okay. are okay. I got you. I got you. You see what okay. I mean? Like, it's not. It's it's actually about like, look at what a man I am. I'm okay. going to tell that person what I think about them and because I'm, be you know, I, it. It's it's all about power. I don't think and any of them thought I was going to jump into the truck with them and ask to come along for the rest of their day. Like it was just about. I, I, I gotcha. I know, and I I completely understand it. I really do. It's just that that this I, I just wanted to reframe it now. And and this is going slightly off the subject. Recently, I've talked to, and I've interviewed individuals of the um, LGBTQ. Um, society or, or group. And I hate using those terms because I don't think we should label anybody at all. I think we should just call them by their name and be done with it. But for some reason we have this need to you're English, I'm American, whatever it may be. And I don't think that's important. It's who we are, who we are internally. And it's your Anna, I'm Bill, so on and so forth. That's the way it should be. I agree. But when you're dealing with that, and I've been hearing the same thing from that. Oh, I hate saying it because I'm, I'm distinguishing a difference. But because I, when I say the word population, I'm not think, meaning anything by it. What no. I'm, because it means like I'm segregating them. No, and I think I, we're tribal by nature. We do it to ourselves. But, but I hate, I hate, I'll be honest with you. I hate the English language. I can't stand it because <laughs> we segment everything. And I think that is wrong. But I'm hearing the same thing from them that I just heard from you. Okay. And the last two interviews I did, I did one with a, um, uh, a male and I did one with a female um, that they were bio, uh, biologically that way. They were not identifying that way. I got off and I felt, I, and I told them, I said, in the one interview, I said, I was very nervous to interview you. And he said, why? You did fine. I said, no. I said, my goal is not to offend anybody. My goal is not to make anybody upset. My goal is to find out what makes you tick. Okay. Right. I ask you about the pillow behind you. I know what makes you tick. I knew it before I asked you about it, but I just wanted to reinforce what my belief is of you. And I agree with you 110% on everything you said. It's just that my job is to poke the bear occasionally just to cool. see what I can get out of it. So I don't want you to take it the wrong way. Oh, I'm not at all offended by anything. Okay. That but again, when we were talking about that, so you're in the theater world. And again, this is a bad generalization, but I'm doing it. When you work with these individuals that identify this way, do you react differently around them or are you Anna? Which individuals in terms of the LGBTQ community? Yes. Yeah. Oh, no. I, I mean, I think one of the beautiful, beautiful things about New York and the theater industry is I have lots of different types of people in my life in lots of different ways. Okay. So... I'm probably more surprised if I'm in a musical, honestly, I'm probably more surprised to find a straight man there than I am anyone else. Okay. I do not, and, and I have no feelings either way about that. I, I think we're tribal by nature. I think people 
create communities for their own safety and for their own comfort. And I can understand that within the LGBTQ community, which is why I uh, am not someone who frequents gay bars, for example, except for one, which I really love because it's a musical theater piano bar. But because oh, that I think sounds like fun. It's great. If you ever come to New York, we'll go. Okay. Um, that's a deal. But um, people need spaces where they can be their full selves without feeling afraid. And okay. so I can understand why that community will self-identify that way because I want to feel safe in certain spaces too. Sometimes I just want to go to a space where there are women because I don't want to deal with anything else. I got Sometimes you. I don't mind. So for me, I think it, it's important to acknowledge and respect every facet of someone's personality and identity, but it's not going to change how I interact with them. Okay. And, and, and actually that makes a lot of sense to me because I've, I've been wondering that because for years, and this is what's really funny, and I told the one gentleman I uh, interviewed, is that I knew a lot of people that were, and I didn't know it, nor did I care because they were good friends. And I would have never had a reason to know unless I would have been in a situation like But do you not speak to your friends about people that they're dating? Would you not want to know about them? Well, they weren't at the time. And when I found out it was, it was afterwards. So they did. Um, So yeah, I did, I did find out and they did mention and such like that. And I also, when I interview someone now, if I do not know where they, where they identify themselves, I will not say, I will do the proper pronouns. And that's to everybody now. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. Because again, I have a, I have a, a 21 year old son. I have a 14 year old daughter and I have a 17 year old son. And, and if it wasn't for my kids, I don't think I would have ever noticed it because they're the ones that are pointing it out because they're the ones that are of the, of the new generation that are able to, excuse me, <clears throat> that are able to see, see that what we were doing as the old folks was wrong because everything we were dealing with, and this is the thing that I made point last week, is that for some reason, my generation, my age group, always identified people not by who they were, but by sex. And I'm not just saying by gender, I mean what they did in their own bedroom. And And that is where the problem was, and that's also where religion came in, and that's where the problem even got worse. Right, but I think that also links back to all those, all the, the major places where people would be able to use those as identifiers are run by straight white men. Gotcha. So it all links back to that. And I think it's interesting to use the word wrong. I think it's because I think society is just evolving. Okay. I think it's, that's a kind of way to, we're all learning. There are things I've said not that long ago that I've had friends say, hang on, this is not actually, can I, can I, and they've done it with compassion. Can I, can I actually tell you a better way to say that? Or mm-hmm. we don't use that term anymore. Or this is why this offended me. And I think those are the conversations that are really valuable as long as we can all, we've touched on this earlier in the conversation, but like learn to listen properly. Listen to people we disagree with. Try and connect with them on some way to understand why they feel that way. Listen to people who are correcting us. Instead of being embarrassed and angry that things are changing, take that as a moment to say, okay, like how... Okay, I can see why that how that's different now. What's the best way to course correct? What, how can I educate myself to right. fix that? Right. You know? And and the one thing I brought up the conversation and they didn't understand how to respond to me. And I said the one word I hate the most. 
is the one that everybody's identifying with right now. And they said, what? I said, queer. I said, that's an awful word. Because if you look what it means, it means odd, strange, unusual, peculiar, and bizarre. I don't think any of those people are that way. And I think, it, uh, it's interesting because I think, first of all, we use words have multiple meanings. I know, and, and I just gave you five. Exactly. But also it's a self-identity thing. Who am I to tell someone not to identify as queer? If that's well, the word that feels most comfortable, and I'm not saying that's what you're saying. I'm, I understand why. But, but what I said, and he looked at me and he goes, I understand where you're coming from. He yeah. says, because that's why a lot of people are fearful or skeptical because of the way they identify, because it's a word that has a different meaning to them. Right. It's, it's so interesting because I think that particular word from my understanding, and I'm not part of that community, is um, it can be an umbrella term for not wanting to box yourself in further. And I got it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But so I think it's an point. It, it, it's interesting. And I'm looking at it because I'm looking at it here. Yeah. And it says often offensive and they give you the the similar to gay homosexual lesbian lesbi gay which i've never heard of that one before which i'm going okay but again 70 years ago gay men happy um look at our christmas songs that we have be gay and light i mean people listen to those going wait a minute what are they talking about but again like you said words evolve and words have have meaning and you and I have been talking for almost an hour and we could probably go on for another two. (laughs) Um, I'm having a really good time doing this, but, um, but I'm going to have to cut it short here. And I want to have you back on again, because I think these are the conversations that people need to have to broaden horizons. I agree. I love having these conversations. And I, and I, and I just think it's, I just think it's very intriguing to have someone in your situation um, and it's not really a situation, but your location and where I'm at coming from a different part of the world and discussing these things, because we have more common ground than we don't. Absolutely. And I think that's true for most people. Yeah. So, so Anna, before I let you go, which this has been in, in quite enjoyable, nor did I think we would go in that direction, but we did. And I kind of like that. Me too. Um, it makes life interesting. So you need to do a podcast on this. You, you, you could you could do today in society. I mean, that would be a great one. I mean, maybe I will. I just have to find people who want to do it with me. Yeah. Well, you should have enough in, in your theater community that would want to. That's true. They love That's performing true. from what I've been told. Sometimes. <laughs> I've been known to. Well, Anna, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to talk next time. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me today, Anna. Thank you again. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, a big thank you to Anna Frankel Duvall for joining me today. It was fantastic. If you like more information on her and her acting career, go to AnnaFrankelDuvall.com. Well, that's going to wrap it up for yours truly, Bill Alexander. I am out of here. We'll talk to you next time here one-on-one with Bill Alexander. So I got a COVID shot. Why do I need another one? If the vaccine works, why should I get a booster shot? I've heard COVID's only dangerous for older people. Do my kids even need the vaccine? 
If people can get sick after they've had the vaccine, what's the point of it? You have questions about the COVID-19 vaccine. At Valley Health, we have the answers. Get them now at valleyhealthlink.com forward slash vaccine answers. Funded by the U.S. Health Resources and Services Administration. Have you guys noticed that you can't go anywhere without seeing designer this or designer that? Even designer furniture. On my social feeds and celebrity homes, it's everywhere. Have you seen how expensive these are? Well, if you want the sofa or recliner or bed that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends, but without the designer prices. Oh, and they're well-made, too. It's the whole package. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com.